saving money when you start your next project today at Menards. Check out our great selection of garage and utility lighting options in stock, ready to take home today. We carry everything to help you illuminate whatever project you're working on. Shop garage and utility lighting products in store at your nearest Menards. You can also view all of our entire selection of lighting options today on Menards.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Live from Liverpool, the Dark Paranormal, Season 11. Hi everyone and welcome back to the Dark Paranormal, Season 11, Episode 8. I can't believe that after this episode, there's only two more episodes left of Season 11. Well, they say time flies when you're having fun, but if last week's episode and the response to it is anything to go by, maybe fun isn't the right word, because we've had the biggest response to date from any experience covered on The Dark Paranormal. And I can't say I'm surprised. At the end of the episode, you will have heard me state very clearly I was going to quickly leave the studio once I'd finished, and indeed I did. That was not hyperbole or any attempt to try and further the spookiness of the podcast. That was a genuine, sincere fear that went through me as I ended that episode. Somebody once emailed in asking if the reason why I do the show in seasons is so I can have a break from all of the terrifying tales that are sent my way. I replied honestly and said, no, it's more of an administrative thing and it does allow me to take a few weeks off. However, if each and every week I read out an experience and had that same reaction as I did last week, then that answer would change to a most resounding yes. So once more, a huge thank you to everyone who reached out following last week's episode. It clearly touched a lot more people than just me. Now, just a quick reminder that we do, of course, have Season 12 impending, which means, of course, we've opened submissions for Season 12. So, if you have a true paranormal experience that you've always wanted to get out there, email it through to thedarkparanormal at hotmail.com or visit our website, thedarkparanormal.com, and click the Contact Us link. But enough of the future, let's talk about today's episode. In this world of the unknown, it's hard to know what we're dealing with. In today's experience, we have to ask ourselves, are we dealing with just one entity? Seemingly following a youngster from home to home, like some malevolent parasite. Or is it actually the submitter? 
unknowingly sensitive to the resident spirits attached to each home they move to? Well, that's the question that we leave open for you, the listener, to decide. But before we reach today's true paranormal experience, we need to of course thank our wonderful team over at Patreon. When you sign up to Patreon, not only do you receive these episodes both ad-free and before everyone else, you can also gain exclusive access to our Patreon-only podcast, Dark Bites. Dark Bites is a podcast which runs each and every week of the year, even on the downtime in between seasons, meaning not only do you never miss a paranormal fix, but you also have the entire back catalogue to binge at your leisure. Well over 30 hours of Patreon-only unheard content, so with a break in seasons due to arrive shortly, there's no better time to join the team. We've built a wonderful community of like-minded paranormal enthusiasts over on Patreon, and we'd love to extend an exclusive invitation just for you. Simply head over to patreon.com forward slash thedarkparanormal, just like these wonderful new team members have. Celeste Urbina, Victoria Tieda, Tamara Peak, Erica Newstead, Kayla Gocha, Jennifer Quinn, Timberley, Mina Emperador, Nick Brokenshire, Victor Turchu, Laurie Haddon, Ariana Campbell, John Dow, Ari Atwood, Amelia Eliana Smith, Patricia Juarez, Brittany Taylor, Haley Mather, Anthony Berrios, Jackie Marshall, Brandy Moore, M. Clements, Ghostly Live 3S, Jessica Sue Vocatora, Victoria, James Young, Rowan Heron, Carrie Britt, Skeleton Ragdoll, Gillian Sheets, Hayley Venquist, Hannah, Francine, Monique Smith, Inez Eguadanos, Amy B, Barrigat Bulk, Lauren Aldridge, Sarah Eric's daughter, Mary Malcolm Sanders, Truthseeker, Christina Clark, Salvador Martinez, Roger Funk, Stephanie Garraway, Nathan Wood, Cecily Myland, Beck Stone, Caitlin L and Miriam Antemi. Thank you so much for joining the team and supporting the show, and I hope you enjoy all the early ad-free releases and, of course, those Dark Bites episodes. Plus, of course, you'll be the first to hear the premiere episode of Season 12. But right now, it's time. Lower those lights, make yourself comfortable, and, of course, leave your disbelief at the door as we hear all about My Fallen. Angel. This all begins in the state of Missouri, when I was about five or six. My father had brought me over to an apartment which he and his girlfriend, Maya, lived in. The apartment was kind of small, I think just two rooms. I don't remember much, to be honest. But I do remember the tall, carpeted stairs leading up to the apartment but it was generally a nice place. Not nice literally, but metaphorically. We didn't have much money, but I still got toys every once in a while. I had just gotten two old Baby Alive dolls, which I loved. They didn't have any clothes, but I still played with them almost daily. One day, I was playing with my dolls before my uncle got home later. I was either called off somewhere, or I had to go and use the bathroom, but either way, I had to leave that room that I was playing with my dolls in. Now, I had a box that was a little smaller than the dolls side by side, and I vividly remember putting the dolls in that box, slightly raised on the sides so that they could both fit. After that, I left the room and went to do what I was doing. I mentioned my uncle because I'd been playing in his room, 
and he entered the room soon after I left. When I came back to the room, I found my dolls crisscrossed in an X over the edges of the box. I was concerned because, well, I hadn't put them like that, and why would my uncle? I looked at the box for a moment and then looked over at my busy uncle, who seemingly had no clue what happened. I did ask him about the dolls, and obviously he replied that he never touched them. I also asked my father and Maya, and they both denied having touched the dolls also. Why they were positioned in such a specific way, I'll never know. A year or so later, and I was living in a new home. At this point, my little brother was around six months old. By now, Christmas had passed, so I'd gotten some new toys, and I was really happy with all of them. But only one of those toys is now burned deep into my memory. This toy was a walk-with-me doll, and as the name predicts, it's supposed to walk with you as you hold its hand. It was around three or four feet high, reaching my shoulders or neck at the time. My dad and Maya had found it at a flea market, I believe. It was supposed to be an angel, but it was old and missing its wings and halo, only having its shoes dress and necklace. It had blonde hair and blue eyes, and with the basic peach skin that most dolls had at that time. When I first got it, I loved it. I remember they'd not wrapped the doll, and it came in a regular brown box. When I opened it, I was intrigued by its missing halo and wings, saying she was a fallen angel. I brushed and tidied her hair and fell in love with her necklace, which I think was fake pearls and some sort of piece in the middle. I mostly talked to her like she was a real person and did not usually take her out of my room. But it was shortly after this time that the nightmares began. When I would fall asleep at night, I began feeling uneasy thinking about the doll which was stood on the other side of the room, facing me. In my dream, I would be in bed, and I'd look over towards my window, and there sat the doll. And I was overcome with fear. I'd try to get up to move, to scream, but I couldn't. When i try again, my scream was silent, like a whisper. And when I moved, I moved slowly, with my back turned to the doll. I walked as if bricks were weighing me down. When I made it to my door to open it, it was locked, and I felt the doll's eyes on my back, and I knew it was watching me. It felt like it could get to me at any moment. I woke up with a start, and when I looked over at my window... The doll was there, propped up against the wall. As it was morning, I got myself out of bed, but before I left the room, I stopped, paused, and decided to put the doll in my closet, 
still spooked and, in all honesty, feeling uncertain it would actually stay in there. I told my father and Maya about my dream, but they didn't really care. They shook it off because I was a small child with a medium amount of imagination. When I was a toddler, my imagination was apparently at its peak. My grandmother on my father's side had told me many times that when I was a baby, I would seek out and stare into the darkest corners of each room for hours. Another thing she told me was that I had an imaginary friend, and I would hide in the closet for hours talking to it. She even told me that, on occasion, someone would reply back in a different voice. A voice I simply wasn't capable of producing around that age. Also, around a similar time, I was apparently present in a room of family who were playing the Ouija board. And it had worked. My aunt had been so spooked that she'd got up and left. You see, the board had apparently spelt out her dead uncle's name, who she was really close to. And she was in such a state, she just had to leave the house. After hearing about this, even though I had no clue how it worked, I begged my grandmother to let me play. I wanted so very badly to get to know the others that lived, well, died, around us. And maybe I did get what I wanted, just not in the way I expected. But back to my fallen angel. From the time I had this doll, I had nightmares night after night, and every night was worse than the last. In one such dream, my Aunt Aubrey was over. Aubrey's only four years older than me, so I view her more of a cousin, really. Aubrey and I were in the living room, talking to one another, though I'm not sure what about. We started walking to my room, still talking, and when we got in there, it was instantly cold. Very cold. And I had a bad feeling. But before I could act, my closet door began to shake. The doll was in there. I knew it. But Aubrey had no clue about it. I slammed myself against the closet door, trying to hold it shut. I yelled for Aubrey to help keep the door shut, as it was coming open even with my weight against it. My brain tells me we were miscommunicated, but I swear I saw Aubrey smile before she walked out of my bedroom, shutting the door behind her, and leaving me to fend for myself. I felt abandoned, cut off from the world. I screamed, I yelled, I tried my hardest to get Aubrey to come back, to save me, to shut the closet door and help me out. But no one came. And then I woke up. The house, dark and silent. I didn't move as I lay there. My heart beating so fast, I thought it would come out of my chest. My eyes slowly wandered to the window 
then to the wall where the doll had stood before earlier that day, hoping she hadn't walked herself out of the closet, but thankfully she was not there. My eyes then drifted to the closet, fear now creeping into my throat. But nothing moved. No vents came on, no footsteps were heard, nothing. I was about to relax, and I slowly realised, with a horrible, gripping fear, that my closet door was cracked open. I didn't understand. It couldn't be opened from the inside, and I knew for a fact that I'd closed that door tight before going to sleep. But now it stood open, albeit only by a few inches. The space behind it was pitch black. I wasn't sure what to do. I just lay there, terrified, before somehow falling asleep and waking the next morning with that nightmare burnt into my head. Without looking at my closet, I left the room, went to the living room and sat on the couch for a good 20 minutes before sneaking back to my room to hastily get ready for school. When I got back to my house that evening, I began to plan. Put something against the closet door? No, I'd get in trouble. Then I knew. I'd put my dolls and my bears around my bed to protect me at night. I dragged my toy box out over to my bed and pulled a few dolls from it, then placed them around my bed, on my bed, everywhere. I grabbed my bears and done the same thing, and I did feel a little safer, hoping it would work to protect me. However, that night, with the doll in my closet, I felt her, or it, watching me closely through the slats. I knew it was there. The door to my closet opened slowly, menacingly. I closed my eyes tightly, knowing I wouldn't be able to do anything to protect myself, knowing no matter what I did, that I couldn't stop it. Even with my eyes closed, I felt its presence building, walking towards me with intent. I don't remember what happened after that, but I woke up again in the middle of the night and forced myself to go back to sleep, to not look at the closet door, not the wall, not the window, just to sleep. I held on to my teddy bear, and I'm not sure how, but I fell back asleep. That next morning, I awoke to find my closet door wide open. The doll stood at the back, right where I could see it. Its hair was now matted and knotted, as if I'd never brushed it. I slowly walked to the closet, and I grabbed it out by the arm, and I sat it across from me. Listen, you need to leave me alone. The doll said nothing in response, obviously, but I felt as if my words had reached it in some way. I don't like you being so mean. I've done nothing to you. I continued scolding the doll before apologising and placing it back in the closet, slowly shutting the door. I felt accomplished. 
like I'd done something that might work. Little did I know that it would, in fact, only make things worse. Let's have a quick break to talk to you about Policy Genius. Now, we all like to put off life insurance talk because it reminds us of our mortality. But life insurance isn't about death, it's about life. It's about ensuring the lives of those you love remain secure and comfortable. And I'm sure many of you will think, well, I'm covered through work or I'm covered through my bank account. But believe me, you want to check those finer details because you may be surprised what you're actually covered for. And this is exactly where Policy Genius come into their own. Yes, we could talk about how Policy Genius is America's leading online insurance marketplace or how their award-winning agents will walk you step by step through the entire process. But the best thing about Policy Genius for me is they don't have a dog in the fight. They're not going to strong arm you towards one company or another. They've no incentive to do so. Their only incentive is to listen to your needs, scour America's top companies, and find you the best price. For example, with Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that begin at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options even offer same day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. There's a reason why Policy Genius has thousands of five star reviews on Google and Trustpilot, and you'll find out what it is when you tick life insurance off your to do list with Policy Genius. So head over to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you can save. That's policygenius.com. It's now a few nights later, and I have another one of those nightmares. Yet this one is much more prominent. It seems ridiculous, but I don't want to lie about what the dream was about. That night... After I fell asleep, my dream was all red. It was all red. Lit, like LEDs usually do. I started off in my bed again, but this time the closet door was wide open, with no doll. I knew I had to hide quickly, so I ran into the open closet and cracked the door slightly so I could see out. The doll soon walked in, holding some boy's hand, who I felt was my boyfriend. This bothered me, as it felt like he was my boyfriend, and she was stealing him from me. I stood perfectly still and watched as they made their way over to my bed, which, oddly, was now parallel to the closet. They sat there and chatted, as I stared at her, while she seemingly looked more and more human. Then, as if noticing my glare, she slowly turned her head towards mine, a smile spreading across her face. My heart stopped. Then, as if on command, I woke up. Nothing was peculiar about my room, Nothing had changed, nothing was out of place, and eventually I fell back asleep. A few weeks later, and my cousin Cora came to stay for the weekend. I made sure to tell her everything about the doll's behaviour, and we joked around that it was haunted, and it was just throwing some sort of tantrum. Soon enough, we got into stuff we weren't supposed to. This time, it was baby powder. She said, let's make it snow, and I watched as she sprinkled some, leaving white dust everywhere. 
we got into trouble after that, and we were threatened that her, Cora, Elijah and Jacob would have to go home. Jacob is Cora's brother and Elijah is her father. We acted better after that. That night, after making sure we stood the doll up against the wall, we went downstairs for a while before we were sent to bed. As we entered the room, we panicked. The doll was gone. And as we did not remember putting her away, we started looking around. Maybe she's fallen? No, the floor was clear by her previous location. Feeling around the bed, we soon realised she was sat on the floor, like she was trying to hide. We started crying for my father, and it felt like forever, but soon enough he came and he put the doll away. I feel bad looking back, knowing he and Maya got me that doll to make me happy, yet it done the exact opposite. But although I feel bad, I'm pretty sure it wasn't just my paranoia getting the best of me. The next part of my paranormal story is short-lived and yet longer. Let me explain. By this time, my father and Maya had broken up for about the hundredth time, and we left the second street home for the second time in my childhood. I was now living with my father, Aunt Misty, and my Uncle Don, and their three children, Donnie Jr., Ryan, and Austin. At the time, Junior was around six, and Ryan and Austin, the twins, were about four. At this time, and a lot of the time throughout my childhood, my father was working on the road, on grain bins and houses. He was usually gone for several weeks, sometimes over a month, and then he would come back for maybe a week, but usually around three to four days. Well, on the weekends, my aunt and uncle would sleep until noon, and I was left with my three younger cousins. We had permission to turn on the TV, but most of the time I forgot how to use it. In the mornings around eight, I woke up and my cousins would be playing in the living room. I got up to make them breakfast and I remember us all fighting over the bowl colours. Everyone wanted a red one and so we took turns. I now know that my aunt and uncle neglected us, which isn't fun. But due to the boy's trauma and young age, they don't remember this much. Or me, for that matter. Most days, if I didn't sleep in my father's bed, I slept on the couch. One night, whilst it was pitch black, I'd stayed up watching Star Wars with my aunt and uncle. After they'd gone to bed, I was still awake. I just couldn't sleep. I lay in the dark for what seemed to be around an hour before noticing what seemed to be a white vapour beginning to form around the ceiling. Fear immediately struck me and I hid underneath my blanket. I prayed and prayed for it not to notice me, for it to leave me alone, but when I poked my head out, it was still there like it was searching for something. I started to panic, but being at least a little rational, I stirred and squinted 
and tried to convince myself it was maybe a plastic bag stuck to the wall. But that didn't work. Fear rose higher into my throat and I started crying. I wrapped myself up into my blanket, continuing to pray and wishing it would go away. Soon enough, I began hyperventilating, saying out loud I wanted it to go away, for it not to hurt my family or me. I repeated this loudly, crying as I did so. Not only did no one seem to hear me, but it also didn't work. After around 30 minutes of this, I passed out, likely due to oxygen loss or just because I was exhausted. The next morning, the vapour wasn't there. There was no plastic bag, or really anything in that area that could explain what I saw. One other notable sinister thing in that house was a small hole in the two smaller bedrooms through both of which you could see directly into my dad's room. Me and my cousins would look through it and play around saying, maybe there's a ghost in my dad's room. One day, though, I looked through the hole alone. In the other room, I saw a slight movement. Then a clearer picture hit me. It appeared as if a man was hanging from the ceiling, swinging back and forth ever so slightly. I ran into Dad's room, looking around, but nothing, absolutely nothing. Well, I didn't go into Dad's room much after that. Though I don't have much to tell about this house, I do know a lot went on. Someone had killed themselves there, and the previous owner had shot himself in the master bathroom. Somehow, he survived that, though. Honestly, I just think that house had a bad energy. Bad luck struck often. Like my cat, Pixie, dying due to the dog across the street. I won't go into detail, but I remember when Pixie died that everyone cried. But I didn't. I didn't know how to feel but I felt like I needed to cry because everyone else was. So I stuck my head in front of the air conditioner when no one was looking, just to make my eyes water. I loved Pixie, don't get me wrong. He was an amazing cat. I just don't get emotional around death. Before I move on to my next experience, I want to just explain how I got there. One night, while still staying with my aunt and uncle, my mother shone up, crying. Her phone somehow snapped in half, and she was shouting about how she wanted to take me out of town to get me away from these people, who she saw as pieces of crap, though she never explained why. She got me up and took me outside, and we stood at the end of the driveway, her thumb sticking out. She clearly wanted to leave, but no cars drove by, and she eventually gave up. But not allowing me back inside, I was taken to my Uncle Noah's house to stay instead. But I was there only a few nights before she shone up again. 
one night telling me to pack and that we were going to Donovan. We left in her car and I didn't get to say goodbye to any of my family. After a month of staying in a homeless shelter, we finally got a trailer. For a while, me and Mum had to share a twin-size bed, but after she moved to her own room, I got my own room. One day, whilst daydreaming and doing the dishes, I looked and saw a shadow in my room. Not like a shadowy shadow, more like an actual person. Looking further, I noticed it was a shadowy person, crouched by my bed, staring back at me. But they were see-through, and it appeared to be a man. I ran and told my mum what I'd saw, and she told me off, saying for the millionth time that ghosts don't exist. But I knew they did. My father and Maya got back together, and soon I moved back in with them. We lived in a housing unit, and my youngest sibling, Emily, was now a toddler. The house was small, but not tiny, and for a while I had to sleep in the living room because we didn't have a bed for me. Once I did have a bed, it was hard for Maya to get me to go to bed. She says a lot of nights she would have to walk my almost sleepwalking self to my room, but I would end up almost sleepwalking back into the living room. The thing about this house was that instead of only me noticing the paranormal activity, it was all of us, except my father. Maya had these two motorcycle-type toy cars for the boys, Levi and Cole, that were stored at the end of the hallway. But she learned quickly to not leave the batteries in them. She said one night, while she was sitting on the couch, long after everyone had gone to bed, she heard the music of the toy cars. Before she could get up to see if someone was playing with them, they rolled down the hall. After putting them away at the end of the hall, she sat back down and continued to watch her show. But once again, the toy motorcycles rolled down the hallway, bumping into the couch. Now slightly scared, she went into the boys' room, which was the second bedroom on the left, but found the boys asleep. So she picked up the motorcycle toys, removed the batteries, and put the toy up in the boys' room. In fact, she told me numerous times that she's never kept batteries in toys anymore for the same reason. Because every time she did, they would always go off in the middle of the night. Another very obvious thing about that house was the hallway. For some reason, it created fear within the kids. Both the boys reported seeing a tall shadow man leering at the end of the hall, saying, I'd like to play with you. They both refused to go into the hall without the light on, and they rarely left their toys out there anymore. Also, when Maya tried to send me to bed without leading me, 
I would apparently always just stand at the end of the hallway, not stepping foot past it. Then I would walk back to the chair and pass out there. Some nights she just left me be. Others she would walk me back to bed before giving up after I'd walk right back into the living room. Mind you, I have no recollection of any of this and I don't usually sleepwalk. One thing I do remember is many sleepless nights in the house. On many nights it was just me and the outside noises of grasshoppers and the occasional cicada cry. Some nights, though, had something else in store. As I'd be lying in bed, about to fall asleep after an hour of tossing and turning, I'd hear something. I'd assume someone was awake, so I would act asleep. Something was off, though. It sounded like this thing wasn't going anywhere. Just staying in the upper part of the hall, three steps towards the living room and three steps back. Mind you, the hall was short, but not that short. Five steps were the minimum, especially for half-asleep children or parents. And something else was off. These footsteps were bare and heavy. It wasn't like they were stomping, but they were certainly loud for this time of night. I slowly climbed out of bed, listening intently to the steps, seeing if they faltered, or if it was maybe a heater or air conditioner. But it wasn't. Nothing was on. I slowly opened the door, and the footsteps abruptly stopped. After turning on the light and checking both rooms and checking the living room and kitchen, I found nothing and no one, and I practically ran back to bed. This happened so many times, I stopped checking. No point checking if I already knew what's not there. One evening, a couple of friends of mine were all hanging out on my bed, when the door started to close. This time, even I assumed there was some sort of pressure thing. So, as a joke, I said, If there is a ghost, open the door. The door flew open. So, now terrified, I asked the ghost to close the door. And it did so. We all stirred in astonishment. Almost in a terrified confidence, as we were in a group, we asked again for the ghost to do something, and nothing happened. The next house I lived in didn't choose me to introduce its paranormal side, but my stepbrother, Jesse. Jesse said that doors would open and close on their own, that he would hear voices when literally he was the only one home and that he would always hear knocking, again, when home alone. Soon afterwards, though, I began having dreams. Dreams about the spirits in that home. All of these dreams consisted of the entity shouting, I told you it was haunted. 
and this thing then flinging me from my bed. About a month after those dreams disappeared, the spirit started to make itself known. Some nights I would suddenly feel very cold, tingly all over, and I would know it was near. But for some reason, I felt brave enough to try and communicate with it, asking if it could make my leg cold or warm, kind of like a test, and it would do so, communicating back to me. We were due to move once again, and although in my initial dreams, this spirit seemed angry, as we could seemingly now communicate, I asked the ghost to follow me to the new home. I didn't think it was strong enough to, though. But maybe it was. You see, this new house is quite interesting. It's about three feet above ground level before the house even starts. I've only lived here for around a month, yet things are happening already. The other day, when I was joking around with Jesse, we heard a tremendous crashing sound. We both looked at each other, and Jesse then asked me what I thought it was. I shrugged, and we made our way toward the sound. When we get there and figured out what it was, we were both surprised. It was his brother's TV, and it had fallen from the desk it had sat firmly on. We both knew the cats hadn't been in there, or were even that strong or stupid. A few nights later, whilst I was in the living room getting ready for bed, my bedroom door, in yet another house, again began to close on its own. More recently, Jesse has told me that he was in the bathroom, alone in the house, and heard knocking on the bathroom door. As you can guess, when he opened it, no one was there. I cannot thank you enough for reading this, Kevin, as I wouldn't have taken the time to write this without your amazing podcast and all of the fellow amazing experiences. I will be sure to email you if anything else happens, as I'm sure it will. Cadence Thank you so much, Cadence, for sending in your series of true paranormal experiences. And like I said at the start, is it a series of experiences that you so happen to be in tune with in each property? Or is it the one spirit that seems to be following you from place to place? Either way, please keep me and our wonderful listeners updated with any further occurrences. Now, although I, and I'm sure you, have your eyes on what's to come in the season finale, next week's penultimate episode is not one to be missed, as we receive an update from a previous experiencer from season 9, who truly believed their paranormal experiences were well and truly behind them. However, much to their terror, it turns out that their stalking darkness was just biding its time. It's an experience which at the time of receiving the email was still happening and may well be continuing right now as I speak these words. So be sure to join us next week for one hell of an update. 
For our Patreons, I'll speak to you again on Sunday for another instalment of Dark Bites. And for everyone, I'll speak to you again next Friday for the penultimate episode of Season 11. Until then, remember, when you're discussing the paranormal, always try and leave some of your disbelief at the door. And I'll see you next week right here on The Dark Paranormal. <laughs>